1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. I mean, he's just excited. He says, I can't stop thanking God. Because when ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, you, you heard it from us, you received it not as the word of man. You didn't think it was Paul preaching or Silas or Timothy. But as it is in truth, you received it as the word of God, which effectively worketh, effectually worketh also in you that believe. So as we look this month in, in uh, uh, September, I want to talk to you about do we have the Bible? And I want to say we do have the word of God. Paul said, as they preached and the people in Thessalonica, which is a part of Greece, they wouldn't agree with that, but they are a part of Greece. When the Thessalonians heard Paul preach and Silas and Timothy and Apollos and whoever else preached, when they preached from the Bible, they knew they were receiving the word of God, not the word of men. And this is where we're going to start because this month's going to be awesome. As a church, we're going to learn about four great events. We're going to learn about inspiration, preservation, translations and proclamation. The most important thing about the Bible is that it needs to be preached. It's no good of it sitting on your table or on your phone. Even if you memorize the whole Bible and you never share it, you never give it out, you never speak it. There's no good at all. So starting next week, uh, our activity center is going to become kind of a, a teaching museum. And I'm going to encourage you to go in because week by week, I was trying to get it ready for today, but our not everything's done, so it'll start next week. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you about uh, over there with hands-on um, some of the things that I'll be teaching in the morning. And kids will have some activities, um, some, some uh, uh, things for them to do that'll be a lot of fun to help them understand how we got the Bible and how important, how priceless the Bible is. So be here every Sunday and bring a friend if you want somebody to learn but how the Bible got here, because a lot of people say, oh, the Bible. They have no idea what they're supposed to know about the Bible. So I'm trying to help. So uh, uh, every Christian needs to know why we can believe the Bible that we hold in our hands is the perfect, inspired, and preserved words of God. I remember being in Bible college, and a lot of people questioned it. And I one day got very frustrated, and I put on the front of my Bible, the preserved word the preserved word and it kind of got a lot of attention because not everybody believes the bible is the word of god they think it oh it's got bits and pieces of what god said and that's not true it is god's word and you need to know that so that's my job is to make sure you do so let's go to um second peter and i i think it's this chapter two and it should say chapter one i don't know why sometimes i do that second chap peter chapter one and verse 12 is where we're going to start. There we go. St. Peter chapter 1. And here we're going to, if you'll look at the first couple of verses in verse 12, I want you to show the, I want you to see Peter made a promise that there was going to be some permanent scripture around. He said in chapter 1, verse 12, wherefore? I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. So he's talking to people who already knew the truth, and they already knew the gospel. They already knew a lot of things, but he says, I never want to be negligent to always remind you of these things. Now, that's kind of hard because you can't always be there. 
So verse 13, he says, yea, I think it me, I think it's important, as long as I am in this tabernacle, what's he referring to? He's referring to his body. As long as I'm in this body, I think it's meat. I think it's important to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. I think my most important thing to do is not tell you something new, but to remind you what is true. Does that make sense? If you want to come to church to hear something new, then you're coming to church for a wrong reason. Sometimes my calling is to remind you of what maybe you're letting slip or what you're forgetting. And he goes on, verse 14, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle. I'm going to have to put off this life of mine, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Okay, so far he says, the Lord told me I was going to be martyred. I was going to be persecuted to the point where I would have to give my life up. The Lord told me this, and I, shortly I'm going to have to do that. Verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to still have these things always in remembrance. He's talking about getting older, yes. He's, um, uh, uh, it's about 66 AD. He probably has yes, less than a year to live. Peter is not even living in Israel anymore. He used to live in Israel, but he's been hunted and he's hated by his own people. He's actually living in Babylon. <laughs> he's way away from home. And he writes to these fellow Christians and they're not going through an easy time. He writes to them, they've been scattered around because of great persecution. They're struggling just to, to survive. And he writes to them and he says, be encouraged. And I want to keep encouraging you. I want to remind you of what Jesus said, what he did. I want, you to, remi I want to remind you of, of everything that is good about Jesus. But he knows that he's not always going to be there to do that. So he determines to make sure they can always be encouraged and reminded by the words that he's using called scripture. So he, um, uh, he promises here scripture. That's why he's writing this down. Now, if you go to verse 16, he tells us the purpose of scripture. So he says, I want to make sure that after I'm gone, you can still keep remembering what I've said. So he's going to write down these things. And he's actually already sent them one letter. Now he's sending them a second letter, first, second Peter. And as he sent them, he says, I want to make sure you can always be encouraged. Because there's a purpose of Scripture. Verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him. We saw what he did. Verse 17 goes on. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory. When we were come to, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. What did God say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, and I want you to remember those words, that voice, that voice, that voice, the audible voice of God. This voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, the purpose of scripture, if you notice in those two verses, verse 16 tells us that the first one is to reveal Jesus Christ. Now, it was, it was something to, to walk in, uh, with Jesus, to listen to him speak, to watch him do the miracles, but the whole purpose of Scripture is not about you and me. It's not about God having a good plan for your life. Uh, it's about Jesus. It's about his birth and all the prophecies that pointed to his coming. It is about his perfect life. 
about his miracles. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal who Jesus Christ is and what he can do. Uh, these words are not cunningly devised fables like evolution is. Evolution is a very cunning, very well-crafted fable of how we got here. Uh, some of you may remember, you know, I, I was looking up all kinds of Irish fables, and you have a lot of them. Um, and some of them are very dark. I mean, it's just terrifying why you would tell a child <laughs> some of these terrifying fables and things. But some of them are well-crafted and well-written. And... Uh, but uh, the Bible and the words that, Paul is, that Peter is writing are not cunningly devised fables like evolution or like Tirnanog or like Catholicism or even the modern words are now dark matter and multiverses. These 1,200 pages record the power and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ and they record his coming to this earth 2,000 years ago. Peter, James, John, uh, Bartholomew, and all of these guys were eyewitnesses of all that Jesus did. And he said, they didn't hear about it and say, oh, that sounds nice. I think I'll write about it. No, they saw everything. Go back to Matthew chapter 17. And he's referring to an event that is described by Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, go so to Matthew 17. In verse 1. We'll read down to verse 5. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. They've actually gone way north of the Sea of Galilee, gone to a mountain up there, and he was transfigured. What an awesome word. Transfigured means completely changed. He was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. Uh, that's just, it's not that he was reflecting sunlight, he was glowing. And his raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And they then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, little tents. Let us make three tents, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them all. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Here, you, you watch where, that's how come Peter says, we were there when Jesus was honored and glorified by the Father. We heard the voice, we saw the brightness of his, of his face. He was God, come down in the flesh. It, it, just, it just is, is, is awesome uh, to even imagine what it was like, and Peter, just goes, Lord, let, let, let me make this so that it's permanent. He wanted to stay on the mount. Just, just watch that bask in that glory. And what the best part of the whole thing was when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The only person who ever pleased God perfectly was Jesus, who did everything perfect. So everything that is about the Bible is there. He's got, you got Moses, the law, you got Elijah, the prophets, and you got Jesus. And those three, that's the word, but the greatest of the three was Jesus. And God the Father said he fulfilled all the law, 
all the prophecies of the, of the prophets, and he is my son, and you better listen to him. And that's our encouragement. I need something so I can know what he said. I need, I need something so I know what to do. So I want you to remember, he, he used a, God used a voice, and that would be incredible. If God actually spoke through your ceiling, would that freak you out? I mean, an audible voice. It freaked out Israel, the, the children of Israel, when they came to Mount Sinai, and God began to thunder and speak. They, they, they collapsed. He says, stop him, stop him. We can't handle it. And nobody, nobody could handle the voice of God. So here... This voice, as awesome as it was, I'm going to watch, want you to see in just a few minutes, there's something better than the audible voice of God. So our Bible reveals Jesus Christ. Now, it reveals a lot more, but that's the main thing. The purpose of the Bible is to tell me about him. Secondly, it's to give faith. It's to give faith to a world that is only religious and only has reason, what they try to figure out on their own. And believe me, we're not much better than the old Greeks of 300 B.C., in 300 BC, the Greek philosophers, they weren't even real scientists and they weren't uh, um, uh, doctors or anything, <coughs> but they used to sit down and they would reason about the stars, they would reason about life, and they would, they would dissect a pig and they would go, well, that must be what a human is like. They felt like they couldn't open up a human body, and I can understand, but whatever. And they would look at animal life, and they would just sort of figure out life from what they saw. And they were as wrong as you can be, as wrong as an Irish meteorologist. Okay. <laughs> the purpose of Scripture is to give faith, assurance, truth to a world that only has reason trying to figure out things on our own. There's a guy named Richard Dawkins. Uh, Richard, Richard Dawkins, the greatest thing he's ever said is this. Life has no purpose, and that is exciting. <laughs> if that's the best you got, I'd get another job. He says there's nothing more ahead of us than a hole in the ground or a small pot of ash. We have no purpose, we have no hope, we have nothing to live for, and we certainly have nothing to die for, according to Richard Dawkins. Yet this one book gives a man the greatest reasons to ever live. It reveals, as a matter of fact, it gives you the best reason to die. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We have a whole different view. This book gives, uh, uh, reveals God, and it gives us the way to God. Go to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. Too many people think that faith comes by prayer, and faith doesn't come by prayer. There are people who actually believe that, that I need somebody to pray over me. I need somebody to lay hands on me and give me faith. That's not true. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. You don't get faith by someone laying hands on you. You don't get faith by somebody praying for you to get it or for you to pray for faith. It says in chapter 10 and verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You only get faith as you read and as you hear the words you have in your hands. That's why we're emphasizing all the time, read your Bible, read your Bible. Your faith is not based upon what Craig says. Your faith is not based upon what reason says or what religion says. It's upon what God says. That's why Peter wanted to make sure these words were written down so anybody could have them and to believe them. Uh, uh, it still says chapter 2. Forget the chapter 2. Go to ch chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. Go back to verse 19 now. 
2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. Now you're going to see the preeminence of Scripture. Peter is making a promise saying, I'm going to make sure that you have words that will encourage you, that, that, that are straight from God. <clears throat> and I want to, I'm going to, it's, it's so that it not only it encourages you because you stay close to the Lord, you get to learn about Him. And I want to show you the preeminence of Scripture. It means the highest importance of it. Verse, uh, where did I say? Um, verse 19. We have also, now we just heard about, look at verse 18. This voice which, was come, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. Well, we have also a more sure word. Watch that. We heard words from heaven. Heard words that rattled through the skies. We have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well. You would be very smart that you would take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Um, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. As amazing, as miraculous as it was to hear the voice of God. And God didn't only speak there at the Mount of Transfiguration. He spoke when he created the universe, didn't he? He spoke uh, at Mount Sinai when he said, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God spoke those words. And then at Jesus' baptism, he even says it right there. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But each time God spoke was a passing moment. It was over with the guys uh, down the street on Friday, and I kind of just shared some things I was thinking about how time is just a blip in, in a moment, and it's gone. It's just you have this moment, and then it's gone. You can't go back and get it and fix it. And when you're speaking, what you say is it's over. That's done. But if you can put it in a book, if you can write it, it could pass all of time. That's the point of Scripture. Uh, having what God said written down and preserved for all people throughout time is far better than having an audible voice. It tells us that the words of God when written down are actually more sure. Did you write those words? We have a more sure. That means the Bible is more certain than hearing the voice of God. If I heard a voice through the ceiling of my house, would I know it's really God? No. How would I know? Um... There is a device that the American military and the European military have. It's a microwave device that they can put and turn the frequency on and can vibrate inside your skull and you think you're hearing a voice. It's a weapon. It is terrifying. <laughs> How do you know that some voice that you hear is from God or from the government or from the devil? How do you know? You don't. That's why God put it in a book. You see the difference? Much better. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, voices and visions are always changing. No one can tell if they're real or they're made up, but when you write down words, they become a contract. They become something that can be tested and examined and proven. So scripture is better than even the audible voice of God. So say goodbye to all the Pentecostal and charismatic churches, honestly. Uh, they think that God is constantly talking. I tell you, right now, all over Ireland, there are churches where there are people standing up behind pulpits saying, God spoke to me this week and said, we on X, Y, and Z. Wrong. 
That's not true. God does not individually say, I'll talk to Craig today, tomorrow I'll talk to Bill, and then I'll talk to, to uh, um, Sh- um, Sherry and, and to Brendan. No, that's not how God works. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, when, when, um, uh, when, we, when we ask for God to, to speak to us, we need to be very careful because your own heart will talk to you and say, I think I need to do this, or the devil will talk to you. You don't know. That's why when you want God to speak to you, guess where you need to turn? To the Bible. End of story. Um, I, I like uh, um, when... Um, let me rush ahead here. I have all kinds of things. I like this picture here. If I get to it, somebody put this up, and I thought it was real cute. Somebody saying, Lord, speak to me, and then God gives them a Bible. Go, well, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> but that's exactly what God did. These are not, did you notice where he says in verse 20, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. That means there are no secret meanings. Uh, there's, there's no need to have a, a, a deciphering committee or a, or a program that will find the codes in the Bible. It's not for just everybody to say, oh, well, I'll never understand. Pastor's got to have some secret way that he understands the Bible. No, 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 no. It's no. I don't have a private way that I understand versus you understand. We all can understand it. These words that we hold in our hand are open to the public for all to see, for all to examine, all to learn from, especially because they're filled with prophecies. This book has got a lot of history in it, that's for sure, but that's not all it's got. Every book of your Bible is filled with prophecies that can be checked and tested and verified and proven. No other, no other book has ever, ever put itself out there like the Bible that says, all right, prove me wrong prove me wrong and that's why it is so superior to anything else ever preached spoken or written because it's full of prophecies so our whole thing is is today i want to talk to you how we got the scriptures and it's called by inspiration and i think it's absolutely awesome look there in verse 21 in verse 21 just look at the process it's very simple it says for the prophecy Think, if I prophesy, I'm saying something that nobody else has said before. Is that not true? If I'm telling you the future, I'm, if I'm able to tell you what's going to happen, I'm not reading history, I'm not reading a newspaper, I'm saying something that hasn't happened yet. Watch what he says. He says, that's why he talks about the Bible this way. He says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It wasn't something somebody just sat down and decided to say. But holy men of God spake as they were moved, watch those words, by the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> These words, and I like how he starts off and he says, I, that's why we started with our song, we gotta learn, called Ancient Words. He says, this prophecy came not, not in old time, from long ago. The Bible was not written by Irish monks about 500 years ago, like some people. I, I keep meeting people who say, oh, that was written by some crazy monks. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, it also is not written by the latest scholars and theological theologians either. When you read your Bible, you're reading, some of the words are, are spoken by God in eternity past. Read the book of Job. Some of these words are what God's gonna say in eternity future. Read the book of Revelation. 
These are words from very long ago. Job is the oldest book in your Bible, if you want to know. Genesis isn't. Genesis is written by Moses in about 1,450 years before Christ. Job is written 1,900 years before Christ. And it's just fantastic. 1,900 years before Christ, uh, Malachi is 400 years before Christ. David is 1,000 years before Christ. There's a lot of history there. And uh, evidently, if it's from so long ago and I still hold it in my hand, evidently God wants me to read it. If it's still around. You know what they do is <clears throat> you'll drive along the, the major roads or you get on a back road or whatever, and there'll be a monument there to a battle. Sometimes it's a Civil War battle, 1920, 1921, or maybe it's, uh, you know, like in Dublin at the uh, GPO, it's a monument to 1916. That monument is there, and it's standing out in public there to remind you that this needs to be remembered. And if the Bible is still here, boy, doesn't it tell you there's something I need to know? So these are, yes, they're obviously ancient words, and they were written by holy men. Now, all the writers of Scripture were men, by the way. Sorry, ladies, can't answer why is that, because that's God's business. They were Jewish men. Boy, that does us out of a job. Don't think you can write Scripture unless you're a Jew. <laughs> they were Jewish men, and uh, they were godly men, holy men, not madmen like Muhammad was. Not madmen like Jim Jones and David Koresh and many other deadly religious leaders throughout history. All of them were spirit-filled. I know God one time used a donkey to speak, all right? Balaam's donkey there. But the donkey didn't write anything, okay? And I know that there were, there were a few women prophets in the Bible. I know all that. But they didn't write anything. It was Jewish men who sat down, holy men of God, wrote what we're reading in our Bible. Deuteronomy, go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy, so it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book. Deuteronomy 18, 18. Here's the process that we call, or the Bible calls, inspiration. Deuteronomy 18, 18. God says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, like unto you, Moses. And I will put my words where? I'll put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So who are these men? Well, the book of Job was not written by Job. He was hurting too much to write anything. Uh, you ever get so low you don't want to talk to anybody? It's kind of shame because... Job, not even his wife wanted to talk to him, but he didn't want to talk to anybody, and his three friends came, and they just beat him to death verbally. It was awful, awful. Can you imagine him deciding, I think I'll write a journal? <laughs> he couldn't write that. There's another man watching him named Elihu who wrote it all down, wrote what everybody said. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Samuel wrote 1 Samuel. David wrote much of Psalms. His son Solomon wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Ezra wrote 1st 2nd Chronicles and his own book, Ezra. Daniel wrote his own book. Paul wrote Romans and half the New Testament. Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. John wrote not only the Gospel of John, but also three little letters called 1st, 2nd, 3rd John 
and he wrote Revelation. So what you got here is you got 40 different men who live on three different continents. All right, they're not, they're not all together, all concluding and writing this book all at one time, spanning 2,000 years. From 1900 B.C., Book of Job, all the way to 95 A.D., the Book of Revelation. That is what God had written down into one book we call the Bible. We call it His Story. One story, folks. So, well, there are lots of stories in the Bible. Yeah, but it's about Jesus, and it's to give you faith in Him. So, now we come to that. Let's go back to, I got you going back and forth, I know, but go to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And notice what he says. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. The prophecy came not no time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were. Now, understand that word moved. Um, <clears throat> when we talk about inspiration, the word inspiration means God breathe. And if you ever want to make a, if you ever want to say something, you have to have air. <laughs> and your vocal cords have to vibrate with that air and you make a sound. Well, God breathe his words onto scripture. And that's called inspiration. Now, inspiration is God breathing into the, the, the person who's going to write and going to speak. Um, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to hold my thoughts here, but I'll, I'll come back to it, I guess. Um, when, we, we, when we talk about, let's go back to here. No. Yeah, okay. So we're talking about inspiration. And when, when God kind of, this is, this is um, uh, remember when God created Adam. Adam was a collection of dust made into a human body, but he had no life, remember, until did, what did God do? He breathed into him. He made a body that was just a shell alive. And words have no meaning until God breathes them. And then they have something that we can't compare with. They become his words, and we call them scripture. Now, uh, oh, I'll come back to this. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 28. Isaiah. Then comes Jeremiah chapter 28. I said 28. 23. 23, 28. Jeremiah 23, 28. And there were a lot of other prophets at the time with Jeremiah, and they were all saying their prophecies and their visions. God says, bring them on, bring them on. Let them give their prophecies. Verse 28, the prophet that hath a dream, you've got something you think you got from God, let him tell a dream. He that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? What's he saying? All right, if you know anything about wheat before it becomes bread, all right, you got to get it from uh, a stalk. And uh, the, the wheat is broken off, and then the chaff, which is the outer husk of the wheat, is separated so that you're left with just the grains of wheat that get ground up and made into bread. And would you try it and chew on this? Would you try to eat this? You wouldn't. You wouldn't even try. You'd choke on it. 
Uh, there are times when you can actually take, and we've done it, because my wife's got big bags of, of grain, different types of grain and stuff, and you take that grain and you just, you just put it in your mouth and you can eat it. It's not super pleasant, but you can eat it. It's palatable, but that is only good for the fire. In Jeremiah, God says, my word compared to the words of, of people who have their dreams and their visions and their ideas and their opinions and their religions and their reasonings, my word's like the real thing compared to the chaff. They kind of look similar, but they taste very different. They are really different. Uh, when, when God breathed into Peter his words, it supernaturally moved him to write the words that came through him. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I need to live what came out of the, by the, whatever came out of the mouth of God. Now, how come all these religious prophets of today never can tell you about hurricanes? You ever wonder about that? If I was able to tell the future, why wouldn't I warn Louisiana that a hurricane's coming? A month ahead of time. How come they don't do that? How come all the charismatic prophets and preachers and preacherettes two years ago sat up there and said, the Lord has said Trump is going to win by a landslide. Not one of them right. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is, what is God's word compared to these hustlers? They're selling a lie. And what you hold in your hand that you may be bored with is a more sure word, a more certain, a more true word than any voice you might hear from heaven. How come psychics never attempt to win the lottery? If I were psychic, man, and I came by a, a, a quick pick or I went by a gala and I got in there and I says, oh, here's, uh, let me buy um, five euros on this. I don't even know which one to buy, all right, thankfully. And I'll put five euros and walk out of there saying, I'll be back tonight for my 26 million. How come they don't do that? Because they're liars. We have a more sure word. I don't care if that person, well, they got about a 50-50. They seem to get pretty good on telling the future. They're liars. <clears throat> Moved by the Holy Ghost. This is what we want to understand about where we got our Bible. <clears throat> Inspiration is how we got the word of God. I'll give you an example. All right, watch what I do. <clears throat> interesting so far isn't it it's exciting what is he doing he's taking a long time <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a question when this is over be thinking real hard prepare for the test all right now you know the rest of it Okay, now, that's just the beginning of John 1.1. 1, 1. I got a question for you. That was my hand, by the way. That was my pen, too. Which did the writing? Who wrote that? You're exactly right. But the pen could not write those words, could it? Without me guiding the pen. And when God picked up Peter like a biro, and had him write these words, God moved him. That's inspiration. 
That is how God wrote. The pen is like Peter, his hand guiding Peter. Now the pen could not write those words. It took God guiding him, directing him so that it was perfect. And that is, that is inspiration. That's how we got the word. God didn't just, just speak and, and people take dictation down. It wasn't like that. It came through holy men of God, through their lives. So sometimes you read Peter and you see, I could use a color that's red. I could use another pen that's blue, another that's green, and write the same words. The color is different for every pen. You understand what I'm saying? And sometimes you read Peter, and it's, it's got his characteristics in the writing. Paul's got his character. Moses got his character. That's their colors, but they're all saying what God moved them to say. Does that make sense? So the Bible's not a dictation. The Bible is using the character of the writer to make it relatable to me. So that I don't, how many of you have ever, you know, gotten on the phone, and you're waiting to talk to the bank, and there is a computer program talking to you? Thank you for calling you know, last national bank, um, please press one. And it's not even a human. All right. That's not how God in inspired the Bible. They were, let's go on a little bit further. <clears throat> he, none of them did it th by their own will. <clears throat> not one word was what the writers would have spoken if they had written the Bible. Think about it. If you were David and there was somebody writing scripture about your life, would you allow them to include Bathsheba in the scripture? <laughs> would you write, you know, David wrote Psalm 22, and in Psalm 22, David writes these words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How could David write that when just a few chapters later in Psalm 37, he says, I've been young and now I'm old and never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never, God, you've never forsaken me. The writers of Scripture never would have written what they wrote. Solomon never would have written Ecclesiastes 7.20. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Huh. You see, if you're a king, you want everybody to think you're perfect. And he would never have written, hmm, There's none of us that are good. That even though we try to be good, we still sin. See, <clears throat> you would never write any book that would actually make you look bad if you called it a holy book. You want to make sure I'm in the book, you know. Moses would never have written about his own failure as a father in Exodus chapter 4. You ought to read about it. Moses just got finished talking to God. God just convinced him to go face Pharaoh, and his wife is walking with him. And right there, an angel is about to kill his two boys. <clears throat> and his wife instantly, Zipporah, instantly realizes, Dummy, you haven't circumcised our own sons. And she quickly took him and circumcised him and called him, it's a bad word, and called him a bloody man. And, and he's, she's furious at him. I mean, if I were Moses, I wouldn't include that in my history, you know. <laughs> he put that in there because it wasn't him that wrote that. It was God saying, you better write that, Moses, because I want everybody to know you blew it. And every one of us need to take care that we take care of our kids before we take care of the work of God. It was just God. Uh... These writers simply spake and wrote what God said to them. And that makes, that makes when they're writing these words, that makes them God's words, not men's words. It makes them perfect words. Go to Psalm 12. Psalm 12 <clears throat> in verse 6. Psalm 12 in verse 6. 
The words of the Lord are pure words. Pure means there's, there's, there's no soiling there. There's no taint of, of my own opinion. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Nobody purified silver over and over and over seven times because it, it would take like five days of, uh, if, if you try to do it the fastest way to heat up silver and then let it cool off, skim the, the dross off and then heat it up again. Nobody did it that, that um, uh, well to make it so pure when it came to silver and yet God did it with his words. God's words are pure words like silver that's been tried in a fire, burned in a fire, heated up in a fire seven times over and over. I'll just read it to you. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. Every word. Now, um, why does it matter? And I'm done. You could be standing here or sitting here saying, well, you have no idea. Pastor, my family is in pieces. It is broken. It is messed up. My life is in shambles. I can't sleep at night. My health is bad. And you're telling me about inspiration in the Bible. Why? Do you know, I want you to understand, because if this Bible is not inspired by God, then it's just another stupid religious book. Do you hear me say that? If it is not God's book, it is a stupid religious book. This book, <laughs> this book is a book, if it's not inspired by God, it's a book full of lies. It is full of exaggerations, fairy tales. You cannot trust it if it's not from God. Does that make sense? If it's not given to us by God, if it's not pure, if it's not the word of God, you're wasting your time. Uh, Paul even says it in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? The Bible's not true about the resurrection. So let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die and that's it. He says, what, why am I running and fleeing and fighting with beasts that are trying to kill me in Ephesus if there's no life after death? Why am I trying to, trying to preach the gospel and, and, and face persecution, which is what he was talking about, if I'm just going to die, I might as well just eat and drink and blow it all. But if the word of God, and we're wasting our time reading it, right? But if the word of God is in our hands, if this is the word of God, and it is, then God wants you to know him. That's the point of the Bible. God wants you to know him, wants you to walk with him, wants you to believe him. Not just believe in him, but to trust him. Do you know, if this is the word of God, and it is, you can find all the answers that you need, all the things this world is, is paying trillions and trillions of euros to try to figure out, they're already in the Bible. If you keep reading in your Bible and you just listen to it, you'll find life. Peter, as everybody's leaving Jesus because it's getting kind of hard, Jesus says, you're going to go away too? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I, I get, I, you gave me life when you spoke to me. You find sanity. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He gave it to us when he gave us the Bible. You'll find Jesus as you read your Bible. 
Go to John. We're through here. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, in verse 39. John 5, 39. <clears throat> He's speaking to the Pharisees who supposedly read the Bible but didn't believe it. John 5, 39 says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. You think you found eternal life? Well, guess what? They are they which testify of me. You know, if you'll, I don't care if you start in Genesis. Now, it'll take you a little bit longer maybe to see it. But he's in every chapter of every book of your Bible, you'll find Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, he's talking to the two guys that are on the road to Emmaus. And he sits down or as he's, as he's talking with them before he gets to their house where they're going to sit down. And as he's talking, he took them back and it says this, beginning at Moses and through all the prophets, Jesus expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he went back to Moses and said, that was me, and that's me, and that's me, and that's the Messiah, and that's the promise. And he goes on in verse 44, he says unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Everything had to come to pass. Do you want to know God? Pick up a Bible. Look for Jesus, and he'll show you the Father. Isn't that cool? That's what we need. And you can, best of all, you can be born again. Um, 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of a corruptible seed from your parents, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Yes, we have God's word. And what's more important, God is still speaking right now. This book, even though, and I, probably the last Sunday I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit more about this, but when, when you have the Bible and it's closed, it's kind of like, it's kind of like somebody talking to you and you hung up on them. You ever done that? It's a bad thing to do. <laughs> but when that book is open and your eyes are open, your ears are open, your heart is open, God is allowed to speak, you need to listen. You need to hear. Because God is speaking. Every time that Bible is open, that is the still, the unmoving, still small voice of God. Are you listening? He's speaking still right now. He's not using new words through new prophets, but he's using ancient words. Words that are eternal. Words that are very much alive. For the word of God is quick and powerful. Quick doesn't mean just fast. It also means alive. That's why I sit here and I preach these same words. Because they are God's voice to us today and they need to be heard. And most people aren't reading them. I don't know if all of you are reading your Bible every day. I sure hope so. But if you're not, I'm here to remind you what God did. What he said. That you would take heed. And are you listening? Deuteronomy 6, 6 says, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. What's wrong with our heart? It's hard. We're, we're not listening. Go to our last verse is Matthew 13. Matthew 13. In verse 15. Matthew 13, 15. For this people's heart 
is waxed gross. Wax is an old word. It means it's grown gross. And gross means full. Like you go to a grocery store, it's a place that's full of stuff. That's why it's called grocery. But this people's heart is waxed gross. It's full. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. God like to save you. God like to fix your family. Like God to, like to fix your life. But you're not listening. If you are listening, make sure you're doing. Be doers of the word and not faking it, not hearers only. Father, right now we bow our heads and we ask you, God, to not take this book for granted anymore. This book speaks to our heart like no other book because it is the word of God. And when it's preached, and when it's read, and when it's heard, and when it's believed, it does something. The only thing that's in its way is me. The only, the only thing that's a problem is my full, hard, cold heart. My closed eyes, my uninterested ears. Lord, it is, yes, it's out of step with the world. And yes, it says things that we wouldn't say but it is what we need to say and what we need to hear and what we need to do. It's the only book that can save a nation. Lord, I pray that our, our church, our families, our kids would love your word and would read it because it came from you. If I'm ever going to myself be directed and guided and helped and, and shown what way I should live, I'm going to have to trust that your words can do that. Just like they were written, you'd like to put them through me. Change my life. Lord, I want to let your word do a work in me. That's why Peter took the time to write those words. Don't let us ignore them. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.